0: Hey there, Ass Kickers. Thank you for being here for another episode of the podcast. As always, I'm so glad that you're here. If you listened to yesterday's episode, it was part of the recovery series, episode five of that particular series, you probably heard that my father passed away on the 16th of October. So it was expected but unexpected he was sick, but he wasn't sick for very long, just a few weeks. And so I traveled back and forth from North Carolina, back to my hometown of San Diego a couple of times in those two weeks. And I was alone with him when he took his last breath that night. And it was terrible and awful. And at the same time, it was excruciatingly beautiful. I will be back to tell you that story in a couple of months, two or three months, when I can kind of wrap my head around the whole thing and wrap my head around how I'm going to tell the story and how it can be of service to all of you, as well as be therapeutic for myself. And I am grateful for your patience over the next several weeks as I air rebroadcasts of some of my favorite podcast episodes, this being one of them with Christina Dunbar And as well as I have decided to put the recovery series on hold until January and the last five episodes of that series will start back up again then. And yeah, I just need to kind of regroup and grieve and catch up and just be with all of this. It's kind of You know, part of me wants to jump back into work and get on with new episodes and do all of this stuff. But my gut tells me that I would be doing that as a way to run away and escape from feeling my feelings. You know, now that I don't drink anymore, I don't have all of these things that I used to do to numb myself. I have to be really careful about work. And workaholism, so I need to take a step back and just take care of myself. I guess there's no other way of putting it. It's just to take care of myself, and I know that many of you listening have been through the loss of a loved one, and this is my first time, so it's all very new. And I guess, I mean, I would think it doesn't matter if it's your first time or your tenth time losing someone. It's still pretty excruciating, and yeah, it sucks. As I was saying in the episode intro yesterday, I it's really interesting how it's such a, it's just like a mixed bag. Like I never know minute to minute how I'm going to feel. Yesterday I woke up and felt like the world was falling all around me and I didn't get out of bed for a lot of hours until I had to get up and had an appointment with my stepmother to go do all of the arrangements for my father's cremation which if you've ever seen the show 6 feet under in the beginning of each episode when they're like meeting with the family and and it's just really sad like that's exactly how it was it was a very surreal moment i was like oh my god i can't believe i'm i'm doing this like this feels like such a grown up responsible thing to do like for someone else like who called me in because i i am not i am not up for this job But it's interesting. I found over the last couple of weeks when all this was happening, and I kind of knew this about myself, but I am excellent in a crisis and I fall apart later. I think that might come from growing up in a home where (laughs) vulnerability was not really something that we did. And so I guess it's kind of come in handy, you could say. But yeah, I'm excellent in a crisis. Many people commented on it. But I have to be really careful because if I am given a task, I will run with it and really let it kind of take over and be very transactional about things and productive and efficient. And I get shit done, sometimes to the expense of my emotional well being. And so I'm really paying attention to that and noticing and being self compassionate and really just letting myself feel whatever I feel. And sometimes it's, you know. Well, no, all the time. It's just, it's hard. It's just really difficult. It's really, really, really difficult. And I've made it no secret that surrender is one of the hardest things that I struggle with. And so this has been a huge lesson in surrender and I'm surrendering as best I can. And I think that's it. I feel like I'm kind of rambling right now. I didn't really have a script set out for you, which I really rarely ever do, but I know that you'll love this episode. If you haven't heard it, it's from, I think early in 2015, it originally aired. Christina is amazing. She's one of my favorite people, and I, I really think that you'll enjoy it. And I thank you so much for your patience during this time, and I am really just grateful for your loyalty to the Your Kick-Ass Life community and to the podcast. It just makes my heart explode. So thank you so much for that. And without further ado, here is the rebroadcast of Christina Dunbar. Hey there, ass kickers. Andrea Owen here, your kick-ass life with episode 47 here with Christina Dunbar. And I have quote unquote known Christina on the interwebs for many years. 150 years ago, she did, (laughs) (laughs) she did a project called Bye Bye Good Girl and we're back together. And I knew I was thinking about people I needed to to interview for the podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get Christina Dunbar and I'm going to jump in and ask you to tell my people about something really, really important because you did something recently that was, I make up, well, I read your blog, so I know that you thought it was scary. So you raised money to help fund your one-woman show called Dirty Me Divine. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a brief synopsis of your show and tell us what it was like to do something so, like, it sounds like your heart called you to do this work. And so tell us about that.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh, total heart soul calling in fact had to make a very sacred decision really before I went into Kickstarter that I was going to devote myself to this show and actually had to let go of a program where I had put in a ton of energy and was like this is going to bring me in this amount of money and really make the decision that I had to let go of some things that were you know important to me but not necessarily soul aligned uh-huh. and so, so you it switched was- up
0: your whole business pretty much to do this to go off and do this Totally, Yeah. Kind of like when Noah was called to build the ark.
2: <laughs> yes. Just like that.
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a awakening of sorts of just what, what do I want to do at the end of this lifetime? What do I want to look back and say, I actually did that. And, and so made a tough decision. So it started really with that. I mean, I was out underneath the moon doing a whole woman ritual around, like, I am devoting myself to the show and then needed to, once I devoted myself, was like, okay, I need to fund this Mm -hmm. project and Kickstarter had been on my horizon and it is and was so far probably the most vulnerable, scariest thing I have done. Mm Mm-hmm. Asking people for money <laughs> over and over again, repeatedly, continuously, for something that is so near and dear to my heart was very much an expansion, a spiritual journey, a just so much learning from that whole process. And Dirty Me Divine, I know you asked me what Dirty Me Divine was about. It is so important to me that I was able to go out there and ask big and bold. Dirty Me Divine is my story, really. Mm -hmm. And I'm such a believer in every woman having the opportunity to share her story somehow. My story is that I grew up as what I call a very polite, quiet, good girl, and a nice girl, and a ballerina, and an older sister, and responsible, and played by the rules. And then actually at 16, I grew boobs, hello, hello, <laughs> big big old boobs, had to quit ballet and really started to put a lot of my worth and my value on the way I looked, really solely on the way I looked. And ended up moving to Hollywood at a young age and running out of money here. And because I had at that point really based my value on my looks, it was very easy for me to get caught up in the stripping industry where I got paid to be pretty. Mm -hmm. And that caused, that job caused so much shame in my life. I stayed hidden in all other areas of my life, although I was very visible in the stripping industry. When it came to my dreams, when it came to speaking up in the quote unquote real world, I hid. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like my story had so much shame. I just felt like I wasn't worth it. and really stayed stuck for so long and also had this wound around. I know so many women can relate being visible and had this fear that if I spoke my truth, I would be somehow metaphorically killed, you know, really rejected, really hurt. And so I did, I stayed so hidden. And this journey, this dancing journey went on for so many years. And it really wasn't until I realized, that all this pain really was a sacred contract for my soul and I could choose to look at it as horrible, wrong, ugly, or I could really understand that this was given to me for a purpose and I decided, you know, I remember at the end of my career, my dancing career, really deciding that this was a gift of sorts. And I was going to use this to somehow touch other women, that this pain was not just for nothing. And that's how the idea for Dirty Me Divine kind of was born. I started writing the show. I started writing about shame and sexuality, which is such a, I think, hidden sort of sinful topic still for women. And so Dirty Me Divine is really about healing shame around our bodies, our sexuality. And also for me, that was very connected to my voice as a woman. So I make that connection the show around sexuality and voice wow. So that, that was
0: it i sort of forgot for a second that we were recording and doing a podcast like i just felt like you were telling me the
2: story just you and me <laughs> yay <laughs> sorry
0: everybody else i didn't have anything to say right there <laughs> Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use EarnIn for anything you need to therapy visits, rent, or even extra self help books. Make EarnIn a part of your financial routine and join EarnIn's over 3.5 million customers who say things like, Ernan is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Well, I think what really struck me about that is that, and this is for anyone listening is I don't even think that you need to, okay, let me back up. Here's what I've realized over, and this is only like over the last, I would say six months or so, I have come to the realization just how much our voice and either speaking our truth or not speaking our truth, feeling that we're worthy enough to tell our story or not worthy to tell our story, how much that has to do with our sexuality Mm -hmm. and how layered it is.
2: It's so layered. It's crazy, right? I mean, I would have never known unless I went down this journey. And I actually developed physical ovarian pain from, I realized later, I was like, oh my God, is this, how can I be healthier? Nutrition, exercise. And it was really back then that I started to uncover the kind of the emotional healing journey around my sexuality. And I was like, oh my God, this ovarian pain is actually like years of shame built up of my body, and shame is this kind of this catch-22 because. With shame, you don't want to talk about the thing that you're ashamed about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's in speaking about it. And for sure, me going on this dirty, me divine, you know, Kickstarter sort of like being out there with it for sure. Me talking about it has also been very healing because women come up to me, hear my story and go, oh, my God, I can relate. Oh, my God, my life may be different, but I can understand this part of your journey. And that that's really healing for me and for all women. And so. There is this catch 22 because shame will keep you stuck. Shame is very much connected to sexuality and shame will keep your mouth closed mm-hmm. shut. So yeah, there's this intimate connection. Yeah, Fasc- it's really fascinating. And I'm going to share something real
0: quick that is indirectly related to your story. And I know that my listeners learn from my experiences and I, and I'm, I'm very open about teaching from my own experience. And I had something happen to me when I was 19 and, I, it's not something I've written about because it's something that's still, you know, we were talking before the, before we started recording about stuff that's still kind of raw. And it's, you know, happened 20 years ago. And it's something I'm still talking to my therapist about. But I had never realized it was a big deal. Like, I had just kind of always pooped it and not really thought it was a big deal. So when I was 19, I was date raped. And I was extremely oh. drunk when it happened. And it wasn't. Violent. It wasn't aggressive. I, you know, had said no over and over and over again and then just kind of like gave in. And I'm just giving you like a brief synopsis of this story. I'll tell it in more detail later on. the road. My blog readers are like, yeah, we know we hear all of your <laughs> stories, mm-hmm. but it happened and I never realized how much that shut me down. And so I was thinking back one day about the timeline of my life and I was like, that was right around the time I pretty much fell apart, you know, at 19. And that incident really, I think, was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I just felt like by not being honored and by that person not hearing me and me saying no, I pretty much felt like my voice didn't matter. Yeah. That I didn't matter. And so... Coming to that realization was shocking. And I'll tell you, it happened when I went to the Brene Brown training and we were talking about shame. And I swear, it felt like somebody picked me up and flipped me upside down and kind of like shook me and like all the change came out of my Mm -hmm. (laughs) pockets. I had to go home and revisit my therapist. And I was like, holy shit. I had no idea. I mean, it happened 20 years ago. And I was always like, well, it really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I was drunk and I put a lot of the blame on myself. Wow. And so yeah. I'm telling you all that because, again, I mean, it was something that is directly related to sexuality and something that
2: really shut me up for a long time. Oh, my goodness. You're so brave to even share that. And I know you said you, you share everything with your readers and such a beautiful example. I mean, thank you. Really, that's what I'm thinking. Thank you for sharing your truth and it's true because we blame ourselves mm-hmm. for this very layered still taboo topic around sexuality mm-hmm. and we keep so silent around it and it it saddens me how much we blame ourselves it saddens me that it comes in so many different like layers you know there's everything from i have been molested raped to I have just been touched inappropriately to I'm not sure as a woman if I can wear this outfit as a businesswoman, if it's Hmm. appropriate. There's still, like, all of this, gosh, confusion and rejection around the thing that I think is most beautiful about us as women. Our sexuality is so powerful and has been really by the patriarchal voice denied and disowned and put down for so long that now we as women thank god we're talking about it mm-hmm. we've just we've hit it for so long for fear really like yeah fear. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the
0: word. And really that's what shame. If we let it rule us, then that's really, we come from a place of fear and that's, I'm assuming that's kind of what you did too, but that's really where I came from for a long time. And I don't know if this was the case for you. And the reason that I share that story is because I'm hoping that, And again, if y'all are listening and you had a similar experience, like I highly encourage you to go to therapy. That kind of trauma work is beyond the scope of my job. I mean, even just as a podcaster. So Mm -hmm. I really encourage you to get the help that you need and the support that you need there. But I think for me, the way it manifested as the years went on was I built up walls and I was extremely... I was just angry. I put up this tough girl persona. Like, I'm not going to take shit from anyone. And I mean, I think a lot of even what people make up about me is like that, that that's courageous. And really, it's not. I wrote a blog post not too long ago about courage. And that's a myth. You know, courage is not about putting your fists up and fighting fire with fire. It's a whole different
2: thing. Yeah. I just recently heard that courage comes after you face the thing you're afraid of. It's not something you build up. Yeah. 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 And that's what Brene teaches
0: us. You know, like you can have comfort or you can have courage. You can't have both at the same time. But what you will have at the same time is you will be brave and afraid at the same time.
2: Mm -hmm, Totally. I have witnessed that again and again in my own life and was actually deathly afraid of the stage. And for me, it was visibility wounds, like I said earlier, and wounds around my voice too and really being heard. I mean, I (laughs) like my pinky finger would shake, tremble at the thought (laughs) of being seen like every part of my body. It just felt was vibrating and was so scary and it was not comfortable, but really facing that visibility wound over and over yeah. and i really do believe the things that we are most afraid of They have the most power, energy. Fear is just energy, really, in motion. And I believe whenever we feel that energy in motion, it's because there is so much power there. And it's Mm -hmm. such a great indicator of where we have purpose and are actually
0: energized. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. If you were here, I would high-five you because you're my soul sister. All right. so (laughs) (laughs) High-five. I love your blog post. The name of it is What Do You Stand For? And if you – there's a link to it, you guys. If you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash four – seven are all the links to anything we talk about in here, but you break down exactly what taking a stand means. And you, you dig deeper into why this might be hard for you. And, you know, I'm looking at the post right now and, and I love that you say taking a stand is about voicing your truth, not just internally believing it. I am such a big fan of that about telling your story to the right person at the right time.
2: Oh, yeah. This is the work I do now. I put women on stage to tell their stories. And because for so long, you know, I did have these beliefs that, oh my gosh, I am meant to be seen and I am meant to share my story. And of course, we're all meant. I mean, I just so rationalized it. Like, we're all meant to be seen. Of course. And I. Stayed quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much yeah. easier just to, like, think it in your head. You're like, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it was such bullshit, really, for me. It's such an excuse to stay stuck and to stay hidden. And I think the voice for women is an untapped resource full of power. And it is like our greatest natural resource, our voice. And it is so scary for women because of what we're talking about, the fear, the rejection, still so much competition with women, still so much out there with media around how women should sound and should look. And we've got these list of shitty shoulds that really keep us from our true voice and saying what it is we really want to say. And if we gave ourselves permission to do that, we would tap into, this is what I call the voice of our soul. Like it is undeniable. It's what we're here to express. It's what we're here to be. And so much energy in just putting our voice out there. What advice would you give to
0: somebody who I envision that there's people listening to this who are super inspired and feeling like they don't even know where to start in terms of taking a stand and what that looks like. They are not ready to get up on the stage like you did or admit to hundreds, possibly thousands of people about their sexual <laughs> abuse like I just did.
2: <laughs> but what what is something small? Yeah. Uh, for me, I started off with... So I would go, say, to events and sit in the back of the room and raise my hand last, right? And so for me, it was simple things like, okay, I'm going to go to this event and I'm going to sit in the front row and I'm going to be one of the first person to raise my hand to ask a question, even if I don't know what the question is. I'm just going to raise my hand and use my voice, when I'm in a group of women, I used to feel very intimidated, especially by women that I felt were somehow more powerful than me. I would kind of shrink Mm -hmm. and not talk, not make a lot of talk and let them do all the talking. So it was things like, okay, I'm in this group of women. Let me say hello. Let me walk up to a stranger and just start a conversation that (laughs) felt so scary, but it was like baby steps of using my voice in situations where I would normally shrink. So I would say, look at the places where you you still are hiding and see if you can do something simple, like say hi to a stranger, Uh like raise your hand at an event, like, you know, ask a question, things like that.
0: Yeah. I love those just easy, simple things. And even taking a step back from that, I think, you know, speaking of therapy, I believe that it's important for women to look at where their views of taking a stand came from, because I also think that most women in our culture did not grow up in homes where where they were encouraged to express their voice and and not saying like in the house that I grew up in. It just wasn't a conversation that we ever have. I was I was never discouraged to use my voice, but I think even, you know, not encouraging girls Our culture doesn't set us up to to do that. So I I think it needs to start with people that you trust. And for me, that wasn't the case. So what do you think is one step they can change to change the beliefs that have been handed down to them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I love journaling because journaling is a safe place to use your voice on paper. And so I asked myself those questions, like I'll bring up a belief and I'll say, I'll write down, well, where did that belief come from? And then I'd burn that, like, oh, my God, that came from a teacher or that came from a parent or that came from the voice of society. Because I kind of say we have the voice of society and we have the voice of the soul and we could choose which voice we're going to listen to. And so for me, it was really noticing where beliefs came from and then asking the question, does it serve me? Uh Uh-huh. How does it protect me now? You know, why am I using it right now? There's a reason that's protecting some part of me. And am I willing to like, let this go? So I would journal on some of those questions and really kind of get in there and like tease the belief apart just to become aware. I love that. That's actually something I haven't done in a long time.
0: I might take that advice, Christina. <laughs> Yay, let's journal tonight. I have a little journaling circle. <laughs> get our PJs on. But yeah, I think it's... So I love it's it's really important. I actually do give that exercise out to clients, especially when family of origin stuff comes up and, and we aren't sure where it came from because let me tell you, it's easy to be in your 30s or 40s and there's a belief that has been hanging around and it is our truth. We are married to it. Hmm. It's hard to unpack that and really sort of, and I think maybe sometimes we don't ever, even get to the bottom of it i don't know i make up that sometimes we're just like i have no idea where this came from it's just always been there <laughs> it's <laughs> so like embedded <laughs> we just don't know yeah, yeah and I, I loved your series of questions too i just i love the kind of belief shaker of and i think this is one of byron katie's four questions of who would i be without this belief
2: mm.
0: yeah oh it's so good
2: mm. <laughs> How would taking a stand be easier? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And that's why I love also working with my inner artist because it's all about being in the present moment and also allowing the feelings that come with beliefs. Like really for me, the big game changer was to be with my fear and act with it, despite of it, to really just be with that energy of fear, of shame, of anger sometimes, right? Like when taking different actions, when acting in behalf of my bigger dreams, I really had to learn how to be with my fear. I mean, because fear is just constantly coming up for me as I expand and grow. And mm-hmm. so that was big too. Like I, I did the dissecting of the belief and the fear would still be there. And I still had to dance with it. And And so learning to be uncomfortable in my body, like being more and more comfortable with being uncomfortable and being with the energy of all of that fear, that for me was also a turning point because I got to
3: possibility and joy. No one
4: told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
0: So many things I want to point to. Yes, yes, and yes. And for sure, the whole like being in your fear. And it's funny, I, I had a long term client and we had stopped working together and she came back for like a, a follow up session and she, you know, told me something that was going on. And she said, I'm really uncomfortable in this. And can you remind me what it is that I need to do to get out of here? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> don't have a magic pill or mantra or exercise for you. And this is life. Like this is you being human. It's part of the human experience. And it's a part Mm -hmm. of your growth because we never grow when we're comfortable and smooth sailing. It's when shit gets hard. You know, when you do one woman shows and raise money for it, like that's when you grow the most. And really just that whole being comfortable. I don't know if you've ever be. I'm not comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable being comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I think. You know, I don't know if you know this about me. But I got sober about three and a half years ago. And it's like that was a real turning point for me to be uncomfortable and be in fear and not numb it out. Because I think yes. that's another really common thing that we do as
2: women. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Totally. We numb out our feelings. Really, I think. All feelings that are outside of the quote-unquote norm, ecstasy, rage, fear, those are big ones that I like to talk about with women. And gosh, we're... (laughs) Feelings are beautiful. They make me realize that I am alive. And unfortunately, we're not taught that. We're taught to shame the feelings that Mm -hmm. take us outside of the comfort zone of what other people are comfortable with. And really bold women, they're not trying to make you comfortable. They're being themselves. Mm -hmm. And so feeling those feelings, being with those feelings, accepting them, allowing them, knowing that they are, for me, a guiding light and what make me a... A divine badass goddess, it's really been a journey on allowing those feelings in. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. Sometimes I just, it's funny. It's for me, and you know, I, I, I'm saying this because I, I repeat myself a lot and I say this to my listeners is one of the things that gets me through that, those times where I. Am in feelings that I don't love, you know, intense fear or rage or severe anxiety is my support system because the old me used to isolate or numb. Those were yes. my go-tos. And now I call a friend and I tell them, I'm like, I'm in this and I don't like it and I'm not happy here. And, you know, and, and that's what I encourage people to, to have those one or two soul sisters that they can trust enough that will just let them and be their witness where they're at. Not
2: try to fix it, not make them wrong for it and just be there. Yeah, I can still relate because I used to put on the game face of I've got this all covered. I would not tell even my dearest friends the places that felt shameful or scary or did have a lot of rage and that was for me as well, a big turning point being able to call my sisters and share and not be judged Mm -hmm. and just be held in love. And it created so much healing. And the other thing I like to remember is that they say scientifically, when we allow ourselves to just feel a feeling fully, it's going to go on for 90 seconds. And then it kind of comes in waves. It will dissipate If, if you don't resist it, if you don't stuff it down and it will come back. Sometimes, sometimes I've been crying all day and feeling it all day, but it does kind of come in waves. And so it's just nice to know that Emotion is just really energy in motion. So when we allow it to move, there's a place for it to go and release. And it's when we numb out or resist or stuff it down that it actually kind of gets stuck and can come out years later, as it did for me in a physical manifestation. Uh, For me, it was like I said, the ovarian pain. Yeah. I often use the metaphor of holding in emotion and not letting it
0: out. It is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. It takes a lot of energy and it's going to eventually come up and it's going to wear you out. Yeah. That's, ooh, that's the truth. All right. So tell me, I have a very simple question for you. What do you believe in fiercely?
2: Self expression. <laughs> Say more about that. I truly know that we are here to be fully self expressed, that we have a unique thumbprint on the world, we have something to give. And we knew when we were younger, before we were told we were too loud or too quiet or too pretty or too ugly, before we were told all of those things and we were just fully expressed, We knew. We knew what we were here for. And so I know that each soul is here to be witnessed in that expression and to have that kind of internal freedom to say what it is you want to say, to dress how you want to dress, to make the art that you want to make. That's what we're here for, to be fully, fully expressed. And I know this is so, such a a wounding point for so many women, and it's why I'm so passionate about Dirty Me Divine and putting women on stage. It's really to give Others' permission to be in that full freedom that we were born to be in. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting because, like, I think about my kids. My daughter's five, and
0: she. At a really young age, like at three and a half, she was already wanting to pick out her clothes. I and mean, I thought I had at least another year left of being able to buy them for her. No. Yeah, she was done. I remember I bought her, I bought her some new shirts. I took them home, took the tags off, washed them, and then you know went to pull it out of the closet. She's like, I don't like that. And I was like, you have to wear it. I no, she flat out refused. <laughs> I had to give away brand new clothes, and so I quickly learned that because I'll be honest, that was a part of me because she wanted to pick out her own clothes, and of course it's like this mishmash of outfits And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a part of me that was like, people are going to judge me and they're like, my parenting is going to be judged based on what she is wearing. They're going to think I picked it. So that, I mean, it really only took me a few minutes to let go of that, but still there are days where I'm like, oh my gosh, but I let her pick as long as it's weather appropriate. And I do sometimes make suggestions, which she most of the time denies and wants to just pick out whatever she wants. And even her hair. Her signature hairstyle is one braid and one ponytail. And so many people have said, oh, one of her braids fell out. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) That's
2: the way she wants it. Oh, my God. She's a child of my heart. Like, that is so precious. She is. that inner artist? Just creating this. Like, watch if she's, you know, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But, like, watch her be a YouTube star and all the girls go, I want the style that she has. One braid and one (laughs) pony. Like Punky Brewster. Yeah. she's (laughs) She
0: wants to wear, like, striped leggings with, like, a skirt over it that has polka dots with her cardigan with rhinestones on it. And, like, the more flashy, the better. And there's – I watch her and I – there is that part of me and Brene Brown would call it foreboding joy a little bit where I worry that that's going to go away, that that's mm-hmm. going to dim and she's yeah. going to conform and feel that she needs to conform to, to be something else. And like, I'm desperate to sort of keep her in that, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll, we'll have a lot of conversations and she's it's just so blessed to have you as a mom. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting when it's your own kid.
2: I'm much more emotionally
1: attached.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Emotionally attached, and like your own shit comes up too, right? Mm. Of like you said, what will other people think? And like, hey, people, we're doing this on purpose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And
0: (laughs) and, like, I want her to be accepted, and you know, there's still a part of me that like wants her to fit in. But at the same time, I'm like, no, that's not part of self expression, and it's tricky. It's it's really tricky, and it's there is no manual. You know, I Mm. I could do all the self help work in the world, but when it comes to parenting, I still am kind of like just put my hands up. I'm like, I just I just do the best I can and
2: that's all I can do. And that's my parents. Yeah. And I think open conversations about this, like you said, that you're going to have so many open conversations that, I mean, those are the best when you're able to talk to, I have a little niece that I'm so close with and we we really talk, you know, Mm -hmm. we have created a safe sort of partnership where she feels like she can tell me so many things about her life and her fears and, It's really just that open conversation that I know supports her and I know she's going to go out into the real world and there'll be kids that make fun of her and she won't always be accepted. And I try to, as best as I can, really, really honor her sacred, really her sacred uniqueness Yeah. Yeah. So the conversations. I had a great
0: childhood. I really did. But I think the the only thing that was really missing was that what you just said is those open conversations and like really encouraging me to think critically about our world and about even things like the media. But I think unfortunately my parents kind of left it up to the world to teach me about things like self-expression and expressing my voice and just speaking up things like that so that is definitely something that i have vowed to change as a parent and i have one more question for you before we close. and tell us what do you think are the most important things women need to learn in order to embrace because you use the word badassery in your brand i love it so what are the things that they need to do to learn how to embrace their own badassery
2: yeah well I think we've been talking about it really this whole, this whole time for me being a badass, it's really about being true to your soul, your soul self, really being true to yourself. And so to be true to yourself, you got to find out who you are without the shitty shoulds without, without the voice of society before you were told you were, like I said, too much, too weird, too wild too whatever there is such still a barrier between who we are in the world and what we really, 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 really want. And so for me, one of the key first sort of steps is to tap into your desire. There's still, I feel like that's still such a dirty word for women. What do you really want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know for me, I was, I would like dip my toe into the pool of desire, but not fully claim it for so long. So if I had to kind of roll it out here in this podcast, I would say definitely ask yourself, if no one cared, <laughs> if no one made fun of you, what is it that you really, 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 really want? What do you really, really, really desire? And then blaming that. For me, that was huge. Like, I actually did a ritual around claiming that I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be known. I had so much wounding around that desire. I felt like it was somehow bad or dirty or greedy. Mm-hmm. The truth is, it's part of my soul expression. It's what I was here to do. And so claiming that, really claiming it, claiming it out loud, writing about it, making a statement, howling underneath the moon if you need to, that I was big God for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, taking action. You know, I talked about that. With We both talked about it with taking a stand with your voice. And that blog is about, you know, not just internally believing that you want something or are something, but actually taking action, using your voice, embodying it fully. Mm -hmm. Those are things that I have done. In my life, that have really, really supported my bigger visions, my bold visions, and being badass. (laughs) I love that definition.
0: I really loved your question. You know, I want to really kind of underline that. If anybody wants some homework and (laughs) exercises, (laughs) I love asking yourself the question if nobody's opinion mattered, if nobody cared, no one would even really know, what
2: would you claim? What would you, what do you want? What would you do? Mm -hmm. How would you be different? Oh yeah. So big. Cause that is, I talk to so many women and it's so much about, well, what will they think? Right? right? Like that is such a big factor still. And so if we could really let go of that and again, using the journal as your safe space, I love this homework. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. And mm -hmm. I don't like to, I don't like to ask women.
0: I just, I think it's kind of ridiculous to say, like, just stop, stop worrying about what people think. I think that we all do to some extent, but Mm -hmm. I'm just really curious for you to kind of like wake up your unconscious mind under there and just like see how things would be different and and just sort of dig deeper. That's what I want people to walk away with.
2: I love that. And I totally agree with you. The thing of what will they think it's still there and for me it's so much of really again why I said howling underneath the moon or making a ritual it's making a conscious choice of even with that fear being there what are you gonna choose are you gonna choose the voice of society what other people think or are you going to choose devote yourself to the voice of your soul I mean it really is such a spiritual journey for me
0: I'm so happy to have had you you've just been the highlight of my week over here and thank you
2: Aww. I'm like so excited for this call, this conversation, and, and you and your work. And we got to connect, and I'm very grateful for this for this time to be so real with you. You're such a beautiful example of realness. So thank you. Well, thank you. And tell people where they can find
0: more about you, and so they can consume all things Christina Dunbar. ChristinaDunbar.com. <laughs> that was easy. Check her out, ChristinaDunbar.com. I will see you all in cyberspace. Bye bye.